Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. I don't know if you know this, but the first movie of Jumanji was so successful in 1995, which was like a long time ago, right? That recently they thought it was a good idea to do another one. I was eight years old in 1995. How many remember the first Jumanji? That was a scary movie. As a kid, that was like a terrifying film to watch. And uh, in fact, let me just check the demographics of the room. Who wasn't born in 1995? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So recently they thought it was such a great movie that they put out a second one. For those of you who haven't seen it, um, it's, a, it's a pretty cool movie. There's some really funny parts in it. I watched it this week because I thought it would be quite good homework seeing as I'm about to deliver a message on it. Um, but um, this series, who's enjoying the movies for the series this month? We've been so encouraged by and so inspired by uh, our Pastor Peter and his team in Equippers London that we wanted to really share uh, the messages and the movies that they've done recently. So full honor where it's due. Tonight's one was written by uh, Pastor Neil Harvey, who has one of the most colorful and craziest backgrounds of any pastor in our movement that I know. He found Jesus 15 years ago in a prison cell. How many though? that's a pretty good place to start rebuilding certain things in your life. If you land there, that's a great plot to say, Jesus, something needs to change because whatever I did before got me here. <laughs> How many people are stuck in a prison cell in their own circumstance just waiting to find Jesus? And this whole movie is really about adventure. And to catch you up to speed, like... I thought the clips were so awesome last week from The Greatest Showman. I, honestly, my, I'd never seen it before. So I watched a few movies this week. Uh, as good preparation. We sat down with some dear friends of ours and watched The Greatest Showman. And like, I'm not ashamed to admit, I quite liked it. But um, if you haven't seen it, there's like, there's a lot of singing. Like a lot, a lot of singing in that. Like they just start getting into the plot. It gets really good. You might be like 30 seconds, maybe like two minutes into it. And then they just start another song. And there's like almost no background. And then they just have this life circumstance through the song. But I won't sing to you tonight in the key of Jumanji. Um, to catch you up to speed on what's happening here, there's these four students who've been put on detention. Who was put on detention at some point in their life? I can remember getting detention for throwing an acorn uh, at somebody. There's something in the heart of most 13-year-old boys uh, on a hot, sunny day where if you get hit in the back of the head at the end of school while you're waiting for your bus in amongst a few hundred other students, something in the very nature of who you are just wants to pick up an acorn and bless your neighbor in the face <laughs> with an acorn. And I'm pretty sure, like, this is how bad it was. I got caught on, like, the first throw. Like, I didn't even get to warm up and really make the most of that experience. And I was so traumatized by being on detention. They made us walk around in what we called the fire brigade, uh, which was the red and orange buckets the next day, and fill 20-liter buckets with acorns over lunchtime while 900 other students laughed at you. And you didn't even get to use them again. You had to throw them in the bin. And, and so for me, that's the last time that I can remember being on detention uh, in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, fortunately, I was given a gift of talking myself out of a lot of situations. Long may that continue. And these students are stuck in this room, right? <laughs> Often that I dug myself into, come back, Holy Spirit. And, uh, and their job is to clean this junk room. 
that they want to use as a computer room. Uh, and so I'll roll clip and let you do this, but they all end up in the room for different reasons. So why don't you tune your eyes to the first clip tonight? We are turning this into a new computer center, but before we do, it has to be cleaned out. All of these old magazines are bound for the recycling plant, but they have to be properly prepped before they go. It seems all the staples must be removed. Whatever you don't finish today, you finish tomorrow. Tomorrow's Saturday. Because I wouldn't yeah, play I don't football. Think that's gonna work. That's fair. So I suggest you get started. Choose your weapons. The hell they need with a bowling ball? Ugh. Seriously, no reception? Okay, can today get any worse? Are you gonna help? Or are you too pretty? I'm too pretty. Hey, I was watching you with Coach Webb today. I mean, I wasn't watching you. I wasn't, not like in a weird way. I just, I was in the room. I mean, we were in the same class. Um, but I just, I thought you were saying some really smart things about why P.E. sucks and, um, about other subjects. Thanks. Yeah. Yo, what's this? I don't know. What is it, like some type of old school Nintendo or something? I don't think so. I don't recognize it. for those who seek to find a way to leave their world behind. Jumanji. Staples, people. Staples. Jumanji, what, what does that mean? I have no idea. I've never heard of it. Hmm. Uh, which one do I pick? I don't know. I don't think it matters that much. Jefferson Seaplane McDonough, pilot and rascal. It's not working. Okay, try another one. Franklin Moose Finbar. Hmm, he sounds like a badass. And he's a zoology expert, which is awesome. You pick. Okay. Dr. Smolder Bravestone. Oh, Bethany, you in? Fine. I'll be Shelly Oberon, the curvy genius. Hey, yo, Staples, come on. It's your turn. Uh, no, no thanks. Wait, just for a few minutes? It'll be fun. She's not big on fun. Okay. Fine. 
This might be the lamest thing I've ever done. I highly doubt that. Welcome to Jumanji. So the last time that Nick preached ever on stage, <laughs> did not see that coming. <laughs> so adventure, oh, whew. This, whole, this whole message tonight is based around the topic adventure. And uh, just like the four students that we just watched, the desire was a game for those who seek to find a way to leave this world behind. And like I said before, they all end up in detention for different reasons. And what you don't see in that clip is just the context of who they were before this moment where one was so self-absorbed that she couldn't really be present for anybody else. Nobody else really existed. Another was so worried about tomorrow that she couldn't be here in the moment today, another was so trapped and bound by fear. This is how his mum says goodbye to him in the morning. Trust no one. Fear everything. Have a great day. I love you. <laughs> and as a parent, man, it caught me. And I thought, how is it that I'm speaking over my child's life? Let alone that. Like, how is it? What is it, what is it that I'm saying over other people in my life? Like, what's my confession? What is it that I'm declaring? And maybe if we go, like, even more, like, uncomfortable, like, what is my confession to myself? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's okay because I got my back and I'm feeling okay in this moment. Trust no one. Fear everything. And he's there in, like, a yellow raincoat because he's worried that the weather could change and might start raining on a sunny, hot day. And, like, lathering his face and his hands in that, like, hand sanitizer stuff. In his bedroom. Do you know, statistically, and I've done this all around the world, people are looking for something new. They're looking for adventure. Wherever they, they did the survey, over 80% of people uh, would respond by saying, yeah, there's something in my life that's missing. I'm looking for something new. I'm searching for adventure. In fact, there's a whole industry called adventure tourism, which often involves some element of risk. And in the last four years, it's grown by over 65%. 
Because there's something intrinsic in the heart of mankind that is searching for something new, is searching for something different. And so the first point tonight is the adventure of discovering God. It's the adventure of discovering God. If we can have the first verse up, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 to 24 says, This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and brings justice and righteousness to the earth, and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. Isn't it awesome that God's a God who delights in goodness? He delights in justice. He delights in righteousness and kindness. These are the things that he delights in. And the adventure of discovering God is really discovering moments in life of goodness, and of delight, and of joy, and of these unexpected mercies. And it says, I delight in these things. And so as we begin to discover who He is, out of a byproduct of that, we begin to experience what that actually means in our life. And in Psalm chapter 16, the psalmist David understands that he says this awesome line. It says, in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And I just love the thought that like, when we're experiencing and exposed to who God is, it's not our joy. I don't have to rely on my joy. I don't have to rely on my ability to feel free, on my ability to love or respond in justice and mercy because I can tap into His. It's His joy. It's His faith. I thank God that it's not my faith that I have to lean on because there's times in life, how many would know that there are times when you just don't feel it? And whether you feel it or not, the good thing for your spirit tonight to understand is that's irrelevant. Because we can lean into who He is. And out of His overflow, out of His faith in us, out of His joy, and out of His forgiveness, and out of who He is intrinsically, it's an adventure where we get to hold on to who He is. And we don't have to lean on to ourselves. And that's the way where we begin to get our meal ticket into this game called life, where we get to discover this adventure of following God. See, like I said, in Genesis, there's a time where things were formless and void, and it's a word picture for life, where we see in here on day four, God makes like the birds and all the things that fill the sky. On day five, He makes all the stuff that fills the oceans and all the waters, like all the fish and everything else. And then like on day six, he makes all the animals and all the people. And it's this word picture. And in the second chapter in Genesis, we see that man is found in the garden. And the garden, whilst it was a physical garden, was also a symbol of God's presence. And what God is saying, even right from the very beginning of the book, is just as the bird finds its home in the sky, we find our home in his presence. We were created for and birthed in, and we find out who we really are and the purpose that He's placed when we're close to Him. And I know there's this, like, there's, and you'd be right in one aspect to say, it doesn't really matter where I am and what I do, God's everywhere. Well, yes, He is, but He's not in everything. And you've got to marry that tension with the paradox of faith that says there's a purpose for your life. There's a position that He's called you to get to. There's a God-shaped gap in your spirit that will unlock the key for you to move into what He's called you to be. And so whilst God is everywhere, He's not in everything. 
So it doesn't matter how far you are from the scale of one to who he's created you to be. So long as you're facing the direction of who he's purposed you to be, you're walking towards his presence and he's calling you home. And he's saying, come on. And like I was talking about this with our massive intermediate space this morning. It doesn't really matter how discipleship had worked in your life ultimately. That's the conclusion that I've come to. There's kind of two ways that things can happen in your life. There's one where like there's a transformation moment where like night and day stuff shifts. So the apostle Paul, right? So he's on the road to Damascus and he gets blinded when Jesus turns up. And then instantly his whole life trajectory is turned around. And suddenly he goes from passionately opposing the church and killing and putting people, Christians, in, into like prison and, and hunting them to using the same skill set to passionately advance the kingdom. And ends up writing half the New Testament and is still speaking to millions of people today. And it's just instantly the whole trajectory of his life changed in a moment. And I love the stories of discipleship where God meets someone in the mess and just completely radically transforms and turns them around. But at the same time, I never discredit the story where maybe the sun didn't go night and day. Maybe it took a while to rise. Maybe like most of the rest of the apostles, Jesus just said, come follow me. And in the process and fullness of time, eventually you get to a place where you look back and recognize that you aren't who you were. And there's some things in your life that have changed and allow you to respond in a way to other people now and pursue them so different to who you were going to be if you'd have just stayed there before he says, come follow me in this adventure of following Jesus. And I believe there's moments in your life where God is so faithful, where he's so kind, where he's got so much foresight that just to prove a point of what he's done in your life, you find yourself in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a messy situation, but in that moment, you'll respond out of a different spirit. And oftentimes it involves people that you trust and that you love and that have earned the right to speak into your life. And then it's suddenly you're exposed to something which you know old me wouldn't have responded the same way. See, old me was so self-focused that all I was thinking about was, how does this make me feel? This is my right to feel justifiably upset with you right now. You broke my trust and you broke something. And the focus is on myself and how it makes me feel. But in the process of discipleship, what I love about following Jesus and in this adventure is there's moments where you'll come into contact with people that have done stuff in your life that would have brought it, could have, should have brought that response out of you. But in the moment, it's in the moment where you can respond out of love and out of forgiveness. And suddenly God shifts something in your spirit where you're more concerned and you start thinking about, man, how hard is it for this person to be telling this to me right now? God, I don't know what it was that got them here, but give me something to pull them out of here because I'm not letting them stay here. There's something that happens on a journey of discipleship where the gospel starts to be about other people instead of all about me. In this journey of loving God and other people, instead of introvertedly holding on to it and saying, come on. Come on, it's all about me. God says, I want to show you a life that is so much bigger. This is about so much more than just your feelings. It doesn't matter if it's a journey or a moment. Come on, just face in the right direction. Because where your purpose is, His presence is.
Your purpose is found in his presence. And what comes in here as we roll to the second clip is, is when these guys land in the jungle and they realize that they're like, they are the characters that they've chosen. How about we roll to clip number two? Guys. Guys, I don't sound like this. Where's my hair? What the? To the rest of me. What's this? What is this on my back? What is this? Oh my God. Fridge? Yeah, I'm Fridge. Who are you? I'm Spencer. What? The hell you are? What is going on? Huh? I think we're in the game. So, excuse me? What are you talking about? Somehow, I don't know how. I think we, we got, like, sucked into the game. And we've become the avatars that we chose. So it's me, Spencer. But yet I look and sound like Dr. Smolder Bravestone. You're telling me that you're Spencer? Yes, 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 that's it. Fridge, I'm Spencer, which, which means you're Moose Finbar. It says it right there on your vest. And... Martha? Yeah. You're Ruby Roundhouse. And Bethany. You're Professor Shelley Oberon. Only Shelley must be short for Sheldon. What are you talking about? Oh my God. Oh my God, he's right. And you, you're Spencer? You? Yes, guys, I'm telling you. I am Spencer, I'm Spencer. Ah! Yep, that's Spencer. Whoa. Whoa. So that means I, I'm, Bethany, Bethany, don't! <gasps> no! I'm an overweight middle-aged man. Ah, uh, I have a tattoo. My mom always says she'd kill me if I ever got a tattoo. I have one too. Sometimes. Wait a second. Where's my phone? Why am I wearing this outfit in a jungle? 
tiny little shorts and a leather halter top. I mean, what is this? I look like a living garden gnome. Where is my phone? Who we cares? are in different people's bodies. It doesn't seem like the most pressing concern at this moment. Oh, really? You don't think this would be a good moment to make a phone call or text somebody or change your status to stuck in a freaking video game? All I'm saying is I don't have my Claritin, okay? And I'm allergic to almost everything. Oh, no. You got allergies, Spencer? Huh? I don't have the top two feet of my body. You guys, this can't actually be happening. Maybe we're all in a coma. Together? We're all in a coma together? It's the only explanation. That old game machine must have electrocuted all of us. Get in there and go save her. I'm not getting in there. You get in there. I'm going anywhere. I got a backpack on. You don't get in water with a backpack. Everybody knows that. Ow! What the? Anthony! What the? Are you okay? That was so intense. I like can't even with this place. What just happened to you? I got eaten by a rhino. And then I fell like a thousand feet from the sky. Yeah, that's what it looked like. That was a hippo. They're omnivorous. They're as fast as a horse over short distances, and they have the bite force of 8,100 newtons. How do I know this? You're an expert in zoology. What? I'm still an old fat guy, right? I'm afraid so. It's a pop quiz. Do I look more like Dr. Smoldering Bravestone or Moose Finbar? Don't answer that question. I don't know if I'm ready to face the reality of that. So we've talked about the adventure of discovering God. The second point tonight is the adventure of a transformed life. Just like with the characters, when we say yes to Jesus and give Him space in our life, it begins to transform who we are. Things change. And what I love about this, as you'll see if you watch and go through the movie here, is really it unlocks something that was always in them, but they were just too afraid to face. And that's the thing I love about Jesus is if there's a God design in us, if we're made in his image, which I believe we are, the Bible tells us that we are, then life really is just a process of all the other stuff falling off and out of the way and God just beginning to reveal who is in him. And I wasn't going to go there, but let's just do that. So in one point, Jesus says to John, you're the disciple whom I love. You're the beloved. But there's another part in the Bible that says God is love. So if he is love, then really what he's saying to John is, I see a reflection of who I am in you. And what I want you to catch in your spirit tonight is that God loves you. But he doesn't love you for what you've done. He doesn't love us. And there's nothing we could do to earn that love. He loves us because he sees a reflection of himself in you. And in 2 Corinthians, we start to understand what happens when we begin to unpack the transformational life. In chapter 5, verses like 14 through 21, if we can have them up. Either way, I love this, say either way. either way. See, I don't know if you caught this, but when I read that, something in me jumped. Allow me to catch you up to speed. See, there's a spirit that I believe that this house carries. 
There's something in the DNA of the very fabric of who we are by nature of saying yes to Jesus that says it doesn't matter if I see the answer that I'm praying for, but either way, there's something in the fabric of our being that says whether I see this come to fruition for the healing that I need for my friends and family, I want you to understand that either way, the whether or not I see breakthrough and I face this problem and I'm facing this financial challenge in my life, I want you to understand there's an either way spirit in me that said, devil, you ain't going to rob me. You're not going to stop me. You're not going to take the fire out of me. We're all believing that God can be God where only he can be. But even if he doesn't, I want you to know that my confession is either way. Either way, I'm still believing him. Either way, I must still trust him. Either way, I must still follow him. Either way, I must still find out what it is that he's got for me on the other side of my storm. Because I can't always see the wider perspective. But I'm grateful that he's outside of time. And he already knows the rest of the story on your life. So it says, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that he died for all, we also believe that we've all died to our old life. Just like in the game, sometimes it takes saying yes to a moment to get sucked into an adventure that you never really understood how crazy it could be. But we've died to our old self, and he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they'll live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. God, if you would help me to stop evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know Him now. I love that line. How differently we know Him now. Come on, the either way spirit, the longer you stay with Jesus, how differently you begin to know Him. This means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Another version says, I am a new creation. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. The mandate of a Christian. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. We heard tonight, as far as the east is from the west. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are his ambassadors. And he's making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God, come home. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with him. What a verse. Either way, I'm a new creation. I have a new life. I've been born again. I love the story of, of Pastor Neil. It's, just, it's a bit crazy, but he was known as the mayor in his hometown amongst the criminals because basically he was the scariest and the biggest thug, the biggest perp. And he says that God radically transformed his life so much so that the police started wondering if they'd still have a job because the crime rate just changed. Like every second word was a, a, like a cuss word, a swear word. And then overnight in that moment of saying yes to Jesus, he just lost his bad language. And like, his family were like, what has happened to you? And he didn't really know either. He was like, I don't really know. But some of his family were like, oh, he's caught religion. Like it's some kind of flu that you can just kind of catch. 
And like, it's, it gets crazier because a couple of the police men and women who used to arrest them all the time are Christians, right? And so where do you think he pastors now? Can you imagine trying to reconcile a transformation in someone's life that you used to put behind bars all the time, but now you catch up with a conversation to say, tell me about this. What does God mean in the Bible in this area here? And like when he's delivering this message, one of the policewomen who used to arrest him all the time was in the front row. And they were like, like, that's a transformed life. That's an adventure of a transformed life. Like, I just think that's so good. In fact, it was the talk of the town so much so that people started saying, man, you wouldn't believe how well Neil Harvey's doing. The one of his mates he hadn't caught up with yet heard that there was this horse named Neil Harvey. And everybody had been talking about how well Neil Harvey had been doing. So he went down to the local pokies and put like so much money on this horse. And like, you're not going to believe it, but the horse won. Which I thought was awesome. And he's like, man, maybe that was God's way of showing him that whatever Neil Harvey has right now is actually worth kind of being around. But how good is that? Like, I think that's awesome. God's got a sense of humor. A.W. Tozer says, the Holy Spirit is not material, but he is substance. He's a person, right? There's substance to him. Personally, the closest that I've come to a transformed life so radically night and day moment uh, is with my old pastors in the North Island who were, prior to pastoring, the presidents of their local gang chapter in the Mongol mob. And I had such a challenging time as a young man trying to reconcile that they were the same people. Because God had done such a transformation in their life that who they were in this place of bitterness and of rage and of anger and of fear and of frustration and of unforgiveness and offense and just of darkness. This place that they were captive. Even the very physical features of who they were was so transformed that you would be more accurate to describe them as a teddy bear. Because the transformational power of Jesus was so massive on their spirit that what God was doing on the inside literally began to affect them on the outside. And out of the overflow of that, like scars begin to disappear. Like tattoos that used to hide them in shame begin to fade out a bit. And like the whole demeanor of the person begins to shift. From a place where you'd never trust your kids within a hundred yards of these people to like, man, I just want to hug them because they're just so loving. And like, and I'm I'm wrestling with like this, like, how is it that you were who you say you were? But at the same time, I'm seeing other people getting saved out of their gang mentality and environment, prospects, and actual patched members. That's where I learned to pray with my eyes open. Because it's the first time in life where I saw someone knock out the person who was praying for them. And like five dudes are holding this one person down while he's manifesting. And we're just like, man, I'm a 13-year-old white kid from real white background church. This is not what I signed up for. But it's kind of cool to be watching. But I wish I was a little further across the room because I can't run that fast. And this 45-kilo shell of a human, like it's surrounded by these mongrel mob. And like... They would come to start a fight, and they would come 
to these night services that we'd have over in Tauranga to be a distraction and to try and grab back those prospects and their, like, their, their siblings, their family, their friends who are in the gang. And they'd turn up with every intention of destruction and just get saved. And like they'd walk in the room and you're like, man, it's about to get real. Someone's going to die. And I was like, bust out. That's how I get like the Lord's Prayer real quick now. It's like, help. That's the most efficient version that I know. That's Nick's paraphrase. If you ever need it, you can borrow that. You're welcome. And like there's these moments where they'd be walking in with destruction in mind and God would just meet them halfway up the aisle. And so like I have seen the transforming radical power of Jesus and an invitation to say yes to him and what that can do to your circumstances in a moment. But understand this, that what he does on the inside, sooner or later is going to manifest on the outside. Because he doesn't just save us for us. The best way to share a testimony is to wear it. In the very nature of your being, in the fabric of who you are, where you can walk through the storm, come on, where you can go through the fire and not smell like smoke, where there's something in who you are because of what He's done in your life. This is, I can walk in the valley of the shadow of death. You get sustenance in the presence of your enemies. He feeds you. Now, you only sit down to feed if you're not vulnerable to attack. And in the presence of your enemies is a pretty vulnerable place to attack. But I want to tell your spirit something tonight. That in the presence of the king, doesn't matter whose house is in the room. God wants to give sustenance. He wants to give rest. He wants to help you have dominion and authority over what you're walking through in life. Not just for you, but also for you. Like that includes you. But he wants you to wear the testimony because that's the gospel to the core of our being, that he would so radically transform who we are that others would come on the journey too. So the adventure of a transformed life. He starts to share his life with us. I was so committed to sharing this message that I gave myself an army haircut. Which was a poor decision in the middle of winter, just in case you're wondering. And we roll into the third clip, and this is really the part of conflict or tension. And every good movie has at least one. Some have multiple. Uh, but I just want to set this up for a second where there's a professor, which you'll be introduced to, named Professor Van Pelt, And he steals the jewel. This is the moment of tension. Come on, what's the moment of tension that's in life right now for you? How about we watch the clip? Don't just stand there. In you go. Dr. Bravestone, famed archaeologist and international explorer, known across the seven continents for your courageous exploits. Sir Seatbelt. I can't tell you what an honor it is to finally meet you. And I'm not embarrassed to say you're even more dashing in person. Um, thanks. Who are you? Nigel Billingsley at your service. Ruby Roundhouse, killer of men. Welcome to Jumanji. I've been so anxious for your arrival. As you know, Jumanji is in grave danger. 
We're counting on the four of you to lift the curse. Curse? What curse? Excuse me, have you seen my phone anywhere? Professor Sheldon Oberon! Welcome to Jumanji. Nigel Billingsley at your service. I've been so anxious for your arrival. What's with this guy? I think he's an NPC. A what? English, please. A, a non-player character. He's part of the game. So anything we ask him, he only has his program series of responses. Got it. It's all clear now. Franklin Mouse Finbar, welcome to Jumanji. It's Moose. It's not Mouse. No good, sir. I'm quite sure it's Mouse. Mouse. A nickname given for your diminutive stature and adorable manner. I knew you'd be here. Dr. Bravestone doesn't go anywhere without his trusty sidekick. Sidekick? Ever since Dr. Bravestone rescued you from the clutches of a warlord in the jungles of Peru, you've never left his side. Right. Can we go back to the curse thing? It's all documented in the letter I sent you, Dr. Bravestone. Perhaps you should read it aloud. I don't have a letter. Whoa. Right, uh, Dr. Bravestone, I am writing to you regarding the desperate situation in Jumanji. We, we need, need your help, help at once. Guys, what's happening? Okay, what the hell is going on? I think it's a cutscene. A lot of games have them. It's like a little movie to tell you the backstory. My name is Nigel Billingsley, Jumanji Field Guide. I was hired by your former partner, now nemesis, Professor Russell Van Pelt to lead a fateful expedition. You see, Professor Van Pelt had come in search of the fabled Jaguar Shrine, resting place of the sacred jewel of Jumanji. As you know better than anyone, the jewel was his great obsession, and after years of research, he believed that he had discovered its whereabouts. Could it be? Have I finally found it? Van Pelt told me that he wanted to find the jewel in order to document it in his writings. It's real. What I did not know was that he intended to take the jewel for himself. tells that the Jaguar watches over Jumanji, and anyone who dares to blind him will be consumed by a dark power. Ooh. Pretty much this movie is a rescue mission. And I want to ask you a question tonight and give you time to think about it. What is life? Big question, eh? But I'll give you some context to that. Let me let me just take you through a couple of scriptures here. See, in John 10 10, Jesus says, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Another translation says abundant life. Another one says a full life, the fullness of life. Life abundantly. So we find life or life in abundance in Jesus. We find the fullness of life in Jesus. And First John, what do we do? Chapter 1, verse 4. Should have just looked at the screen. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. That's not what I had. 
Ah, 1 John 1 verse 4. That's okay. John calls Jesus life. It says that he is the word of life and he is life itself, eternal life, so that you may fully share in our joy. I said to back it up slightly from there for you. So if Jesus is life, then we can find the fullness of life in him. There's another part all throughout the gospel where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's a small vocabulary shift, but it's a massive difference. Notice here he doesn't say, I'm a way, a truth. And our life, if I was our truth, then that might not be my truth. And if my truth isn't your truth, then I'm just going to hold on to mine. There's an attitude of live your truth, which is good intention, but it's bollocks. Because there is only one truth. And that's where, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth is really formed out of, is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So any life that we have, that's in separation from Jesus, is really lacking something. Even the most together people that I get to sit in with and get to meet with and talk about uh, the statement of position where they unpack where they are in life and how they got there and where they're going on a regular basis, as part of what I do for a job, are still missing something. A fullness of life, an abundant life, and a, like an overflowing life, can be found in nowhere other than Jesus. There's a God-shaped hole that's in your life that you'll never fill with anything else. Try as hard as you may. And when this Jesus comes to live in us, we get to start to share in who he is. See, what I love about Jesus is the devil couldn't get a hold of him because he knew who he was. And because of that, like he couldn't be manipulated. He didn't have to succumb to fear. doesn't mean he didn't face it, but he didn't have to live with it and welcome it into his life. He didn't have to live out of insecurity. He didn't have to respond out of bitterness or hurt or envy or pain. But what that means for us is like we get to be able to respond out of the same spirit. We get to share in his freedom. We get to share in his life, in his fullness, in his wholeness. There's an adventure. And the third point, which I should have told you before, is the adventure of a new life. To the very core of our being. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, it talks how Jesus is a life-giving spirit. That the first man became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. So when we find Jesus, we find a life-giving spirit. We find the way, the truth, and the life which is basically the gospel to its core again, like it's that God would transform me and out of that use me to transform other people, that I could wear my testimony. Now the fourth clip is real quick, and if I could have the team up. This is when the, they go home, the students go home, they leave Jumanji and they're back in the teacher's office, in the principal's office. Could we roll clip number four? Well done, intrepid adventurers. You lifted the curse. All of Jumanji thanks you. <laughs> Your work here is done. So sadly, this is where we part. Seaplane McDonough, let me shake your hand. Alex. Adieu, Professor Oberon. 
Later, dude. I'll miss you the most, my Give me the hell out of here. Farewell, Ruby Roundhouse. Wait. What if we didn't go back? I just... I like being like this. With you. Then let's be like this. Every day. Just come on. Dr. Bravestone. Nigel, I'm ready to go home. Farewell, my good man. See you later, Bravestone. to be. You get one life. You decide how you're going to spend it. What a question. Who you are and who you want to be. Who doesn't want to live that kind of life of adventure? Who doesn't want to share in his joy, his freedom, and his life. Really, I believe that tonight God wants to ask you the question, what's the next adventure he's asking you to say yes to? There's a marketing guru that I follow on Facebook that uh, was stopped at an intersection and uh, he had his window down and someone said, hey man, inspire me in three words. And he almost didn't take a breath and looked at him and said, you're going to die. I was like, what? How does that inspire me? He's like, you don't get it, man. You got one life. What are you going to do with it? And I thought, man, what a line. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.